You know you're important when your sweater is in a museum. And Fred Rogers, who hosted Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on national public television from 1968 until 2001, was very important. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. You also know you're important when someone makes a documentary about you, and that's happened too. Won't You Be My Neighbor is directed by Morgan Neville. Neville's film 20 Feet from Stardom won an Oscar in 2014. Using archival footage and new interviews, Neville explores how Roger's unusual children's show came to be and what his legacy is for tens of millions of kids who are now tens of millions of grown-ups. And we're not saying this movie will make you cry. We're saying the trailer for this movie will make you cry, at least if you're me. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're talking about Won't You Be My Neighbor on this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. We'll be right back after this break. Please won't you be my neighbor. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch with drag-and-drop technology and powerful web features. Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to wix.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Welcome back. We've got our uh, right shoes on now. You just met NPR Music's Stephen Thompson. Also with us is Glenn Weldon of NPR's Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And in our fourth chair today from member station WAMU right here in Washington, D.C., which woke me up this morning (laughs) to my great joy, Daisy Rosario. Hi, Daisy. Hi, Linda. I saw that tweet. I know. (laughs) Listening to WAMU to start my day. And now here is Daisy with us. Now, Stephen, I'm going to go to you first because you, back when we were doing our summer movie preview, uh, you talked about the fact that you anticipated that you were going to cry all the way through this movie. Did it happen for you? Well, you know, I I have to say, you know, I I said that, but I left out the part where I'm kind of a stoic bruiser. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, this movie is an hour and 34 minutes long, and I did not cry until the title card. Yes. Gotcha. And that was Fully, I would say sixty to ninety seconds. So then. you were holding out. I was holding out. Yeah. I was, I was, I was uh, arms folded, just, yeah. just waiting for this uh, movie to crack my steely facade. Gotcha. The movie feels like you are getting. Glenn is going to cringe when I say this. The movie feels like you are getting warmly and softly hugged for, <laughs> for, for for an hour and a half. And there, that sounds like hell <laughs> for an hour and a half. Just sounds hot. And there were times watching it where I would kind of lean back in my chair and just kind of feel comforted. To me, the movie was an immensely pleasurable experience. I did have a slight quibble with it, which is I think this movie, in a sense, is kind of making two central arguments. It is saying that Fred Rogers had a blueprint for how to be a decent human being, that he was in in many ways kind of America's pastor, but in a fairly secular setting and with a fairly secular message. And I think that is one argument. And I think another is the idea that Fred Rogers had a blueprint for how to make children's television. 
And I think the movie kind of posits, as Fred Rogers did, that his was the right way. And it'll show clips of, like, children's television was so loud. And they'll show Pee-wee's Playhouse. I was just going to say, you're mad because there's a clip of Pee-wee's Playhouse during the part that they seem to be disapproving of. And and that was the only thing that kind of stuck in my craws. I I I think it makes a better argument for him as an ambassador of humanity than it does for him as the one way to make good children's television. I think there are many kids for whom Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood does not work. For example, most kids over seven. Mm-hmm. And well, s- and I think he would say the target was always very little kids, and they say that in the film. I want to come back to this. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to get bogged down in it because I loved the movie. Yeah, I want to talk about this too because I have an idea about this, but I want to go over to, to uh, Daisy. Daisy, what did you think? I also expected to cry most of the time. At the very least, my eyes were incredibly moist uh-huh. throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of leaked through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so I didn't go into, like, full sobs until the <laughs> very end. Uh, yeah, it was it was very emotional. It It's interesting because I feel like when you have a really great documentary subject, which I think Mr. Rogers is, as someone who is so kind of beloved and remembered, but, you know, I mean, it's not the kind of show that you revisit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's slow and it's odd and they and they kind of talk about why that works obviously. I think when you have a really interesting character like this, you can make a not very well-made documentary and still get by. But I actually thought this was pretty well done. I like the pacing, I like the way that they bring up certain questions about him and try to answer them and I feel like there are moments of tension that you're like, "Oh, we're going to find out something." And then you don't, but mm-hmm. not because they're trying to get one over on you, but just because yeah. This is the reality of what people had to say. But my biggest thing is I really like that they didn't have to beat you over the head with certain parallels because they spoke for themselves. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a scene at the very beginning, right at the top of the movie, where they are giving you an example of what Mr. Rogers cared about and why he tried to address it. And instead of having anybody narrate or voice over, here is why this is important, they just show it to you. And Mm -hmm. if if you don't get it, then you Mm -hmm. have not been paying attention to the world. Yeah. I agree. What'd you think, Glenn? Well, I didn't cry because that seems to be the yardsticks everybody's using here. Uh, but that has more to do with me. I'm broken inside. Also, masculinity is a prison. Also, <laughs> uh, also, I went into this film because I know the rep this film mm-hmm. has. I went into this film. I thought my tear ducts were in kind of a defensive crouch. Uh-huh. You know, they were just like the crabs in Finding Nemo. Like, hey, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, message about civil rights? What? So I didn't cry. Uh, I hated this film. No, I didn't. I'm not a monster. Of course, of course I like oh this God, film. Oh, my God. That was so exciting for a second, though. <laughs> I mean, Fred Rogers is a, is a beacon of light and hope in the world, and that's just science. You can't argue with it. It's reverent, but it's not fawning, and I think right. that's important. Yeah. I think they went to the right people. I have always been fascinated by his kids because yeah. yes. that is like you're the preacher's kid if the preacher is loved by millions. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a tough life. One yeah. of them One of them said like it's like having the second Christ as your dad yeah. or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And obviously, the question before me was, okay, so he figures in my childhood, obviously, I want to go see this film, and I'm glad I saw this film. But what about people for whom... Fred Rogers didn't. There's mm-hmm. an entire generations of people. They don't know who this guy is, mm-hmm. really. And I think the film does a really good job at placing him in history at certain watershed moments 
to kind of show if you're interested in like how the turbulence of the 60s filtered down way down to kids TV yeah. if you're interested in child development it kind of places him in theories of child development if you're interested in the history of public broadcasting we must talk about his Senate testimony yeah. because yes. oh, my oh my god what a riveting and mm. and to a lesser extent I think a decidedly lesser extent the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement I think this film as a historical document is really well done yeah I want to go back to what Stephen was saying because my concern seeing this film was how do you make an interesting documentary about someone who as long as I have been alive, people have basically been saying what is said in this film, which is what you saw was largely how he was with a slight, you know, correction for, you know, he could make a slightly juvenile prank and things like that. But other than that, for the most part, what you saw was what he was. So, you know, it wasn't going to be like a the secrets behind Mr. Rogers, nor would I have wanted that necessarily. It's not that I that I wanted it to be that. But I thought, what is the tension? What is the point? So to me, what was interesting was exactly what Stephen highlighted, which is there's a difference between saying this person is worth emulating in the sense that you should be exactly like he is in your life. And this person is worth emulating because he figured out a way for him to serve, right? Mm -hmm. You could not, Glenn Weldon, take on the affect of Fred Rogers. (laughs) Neither could I. Mm -hmm. Neither could Stephen. Neither could Daisy. That's not who we necessarily are or what our particular talents are. I think when the film is strongest is when it's underscoring that he did to some degree believe exactly what Stephen said, that there was only one way to make correct children's television. He was didactic about it very often. He could be very judgy about anything that wasn't exactly what he made. I agree with Stephen that anybody who is overly judgy of Pee Wee's Playhouse (laughs) is missing a side of childhood that also deserves to be tended to. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think you can take away from this what's worth emulating about him is not the one thing that he did. You should do the one thing he did. That's not what it is. It's finding what's the one thing that you do and what's the one thing that you can do for other people. And so to me, what I appreciated about the film was I didn't think it was all about everyone needs to act like he acted. It was everyone needs to act in the right way for them with the same intent to do something for the world, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. This film does grapple a little bit with the standard default criticism of Mr. Rogers' approach, which is that when you tell kids they're special, when you tell kids that they're perfect just the way they are, they become entitled jerks. I think that's always been a glib and very fatuous criticism yeah. mm-hmm. because it, it ignores the context of this guy. This mm-hmm. guy came onto television at a time when the world was blowing up, mm-hmm. when there was a war, when there were assassinations, when there were protests and riots. All these kids needed to know at that time was to be reassured. So mm-hmm. he built a philosophy around the reassurance, the constant reassurance of kids. Yeah. I think, too, they do spend a little bit of time on that complaint, right? You've ruined a generation of children by making them all feel like they're overly special and everybody should get a prize and all that stuff. <laughs> God God forbid children have self-esteem. Well, right. right. But Glenn used the word, you're perfect just the way you are. And I never interpreted that as you're perfect just the way you are. I interpreted it as you're valued and you're worthwhile. I like you just the way you are. I like you. You're special just the way you are. That doesn't mean you have nothing to learn. And I appreciated the fact that they do... I don't know whether it counts as spoilers in this kind of movie, but they do pay attention to the fact that for all of his, I care about you and accept you as you are, there were certainly people who he asked to conceal things about themselves for the good of the show. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was glad that the film was open about that. Yeah, I felt like those examples were very interesting. And even then, though, there ended up being this kind of 
payoff of right. it wasn't coldness. You know, there was a larger thought behind it. There were larger concerns that doesn't necessarily make it all OK. But you hear, I feel, a very fair rendition of what happened and why and what the thinking might be. One thing that they do say in the movie that I really appreciate and I think is one of the best ways to think about Mr. Rogers is that he never forgot what it felt like to be a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about all those historical examples, it is so important to remember that kids do feel things and see things and take things in that they don't understand that not everyone will take the time to explain to them. I always think about the fact that when I was a little kid during the first Iraq war, I cried myself to sleep multiple nights because I would see the news and no one explained to me what was happening. Because nobody thought to explain to someone my age that, well, war now is not what war was, what you are learning in school. And I would cry and nobody understood. And it felt very much like his big case that he was making in the world were kids feel and see everything and we need to respect them as whole human beings. Mm -hmm. And I love that aspect of that and seeing the way that he interacted with that role throughout history. Yeah. There is something, let's talk context of of public broadcasting here because on most PBS schedules, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood existed between the two poles of uh, Sesame Street, loud, anarchic cartoons and jokes and really elaborate puppets. But also melancholy. But a little bit, right, sure. But also the electric company. Loud, anarchic cartoons. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, in this emotional hammock, this this trough (laughs) of the wave, you get a dude in a cardigan talking directly at you in low, gentle, even tones. And if I went back and looked, and a lot of that is just shot in a one It's a continuous oh, yeah. Yeah. shot oh, of yeah. him, a medium shot of him. And, you know, you get close up of the fish tank. You get a close up of the traffic light, which I wanted so bad. Oh, yeah. I wanted the traffic light yeah. so bad. Well, and one of the things that happened when I saw this film is that I had forgotten certain things until I saw them in the film. I forgot that he always fed the fish. Yep. I just yeah. completely forgot about the feeding the fish until I saw it in the in the movie. And it was like... I felt a little part of uh, nostalgic muscle memory of some sort. Well, and I think that's another thing that this movie gets really, really right, is it understands some of the appeal of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is that here is this very kind man who is looking you square in your eyes, mm-hmm. and he's never breaking eye contact with you as the audience. And the film interviews all of these people who were in his life and have insights about him and they are looking squarely into the camera in ways that documentary subjects don't always do. And some of that feeling of comfort and human contact that you had watching Mr. Rogers, you now have watching our colleague Susan Stamberg (laughs) talking about Fred Rogers. And so some of you do develop some of that warmth and rapport with the people being interviewed on screen. Now, was I alone in finding the real world stuff on Mr. Rogers neighborhood, the kind of dull, flavorless white bread where you learn from picture picture how oboes are made or you meet a mailman (laughs) and the neighborhood make believe was like, think about it. That was a classic conflict. You had both things I kind of identified with. You had the elitist pomposity of (laughs) King Friday the 13th, who was all about rules and Mm -hmm. order. And you had this anarchic element, this chaos magic, this lesbianist, queer, (laughs) potent, (laughs) 
outsider influence of Lady Elaine Fairchild. Mm-hmm. And that was the only conflict really in the entire show. Uh, there'd be an opera every so often, and those were always terrible weeks, so <laughs> I always opted out of the opera weeks. But uh, that's it. That's the power of this thing. But but here's the thing. Like, I probably felt that way when I was five and I was watching this show. I'm sure I felt like, oh, it's the part where you got to go watch how an oboe is made, exactly <laughs> as you say. But that's probably how I found out what an oboe was. That's right. probably that's how, how I found out how it was made. That's no. probably how I found out a lot of this. For me, stuff. those were the parts I liked the most. Ugh. I was never that into the imaginary <laughs> land. I just wasn't. Oh, man. And I don't know if it's because I spent so much time alone as a child, which I really, really did, where it just felt like, oh, now. Daisy really was like talking to me. Daisy was like, how do they yeah. bottle milk? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I just want somebody to hang out with me for a little bit and explain something. Yeah, no, totally. And one of the things that they touch on in the film that I could watch a whole documentary about, honestly, was sort of how he challenged what masculinity looked like at that time and what men and dads looked like at that time. Because one of my favorite things looking back on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is how he would come in the door as a guy in a suit. And Mm -hmm. that was the thing to me that was, it's the man in the jacket and tie becoming the loving figure Mm -hmm. is not something that you were seeing a lot in children's television. You would either see women who were sort of a personality similar to a preschool teacher, maybe, or men who were kind of clowny and funny and big and broad. You saw less of a guy who looks like a dad who works in an office. You know, obviously a very specific type, a white dude, but coming in in the suit and tie. And they talk about it a little bit in the film, taking off the shoes, taking off the jacket and putting on the cardigan is a transformation of one image of what a guy looks like to a different and approachable and more kind of loving. I do have one more question for y'all. Do any of you have any interest in the Mr. Rogers biopic starring Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yeah. that is supposed to come out, I believe, next year. Oh, man. I'll after, watch it. After this, I don't know. I I'll really don't know. I think I learned a lot uh, mm-hmm. from this. There's a lot of archival stuff that you haven't seen in PBS retrospectives before. Mm-hmm. A lot of new stuff mm-hmm. that is really close to the bone. That's really who this guy is. The fact yeah. that his son says that sometimes when something needed to happen that was not brand appropriate, shall we say, uh-huh. with Mr. Rogers, he would use the Lady Lane voice. There's a lot going on Unlocked. there. Unlocked. The entire guy. <laughs> Unlocked. Boom. There's a lot going on there. And actually, you know what biopic I want? I want the biopic of Joanne Rogers, his wife. Mm-hmm. Yes. She is a fascinating yeah, person. I liked her a lot. And does some of the work of translating, like, that Daniel Tiger was his kind of surrogate voice, and Daniel spoke for him a lot of the time. I appreciated the fact that there's some moment in this film where somebody refers to Fred Rogers' eccentricities. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it's good to <laughs> embrace that some of these things seem... Eccentric, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's odd, and I I do like the way we have his wife and his children kind of acknowledging some of these things because it didn't make me feel like, oh, he's got a super secret dark side. It made right. Me, right. it made me feel like here's someone who's figured out ways to act these things out and to deal with them in a way that are odd and eccentric. But that help but, people. But help people and don't hurt other people. Mm-hmm. Because most of us take our traumas on other people. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing was that, okay, so he's gone down a really strange path with it. But even then, they really don't have much to say that's darker than, yeah, he would express <laughs> himself that way. And you're like, well, that's weird, but it's not hurting anyone. Right, right exactly. 
I hope that uh, all of you eventually will get a chance to see this film. It is playing in some places. If it's not playing in your city uh, yet, hang out. It will, it'll show up. And you can tell us what you think about it. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. You can follow Daisy at the best handle on Twitter, run DMR. And thanks to you guys all for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back here on Friday. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more folks to find the show. We will see you right back here on Friday. I'm Scott Detrow. There is so much political news to follow these days, but you don't have to keep up with all of it. You just have to keep up with us on the NPR Politics Podcast. You can find us on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.